It's good to be with you guys. I just want you guys to know that spending time with you guys and talking about Jesus, it's just one of my favorite things. So if you guys need a Bible, would you guys put your hands up in the air? We have some phenomenal people that are passing out some Bibles. And if you have your Bible, would you open it up to Matthew chapter 25? We're going to start at verse 14. And for those taking notes, the title of this morning's message is The Effort Within. The Effort Within. And we're going to be looking at Matthew 25. First Bible in the New Testament, or first book in the New Testament. How many of you guys have ever heard of a parable? Do we, do we know what that means? When, 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 when I say a parable, okay, and that's okay. A parable for you guys to know is it is a simple story used to illustrate a moral lesson. That it's a story used to illustrate a deeper lesson. And Jesus, in his ministry, constantly used parables. And what I actually love is that in the book of Mark, it says that Jesus never addressed the public crowd without telling a story. Who loves a good story? Whether, whether it's like a movie plot or whether it's a book or whether, you know, it's the summertime and you got campfire stories, whatever it is, we, there's something captivating about being in the midst of a good story. And I think Jesus understood how captivating stories can be and how they can engage our interest. And with that, Jesus would get to the matters of the heart. And so Jesus constantly was understanding the importance of good stories. And so Jesus' ministry was constantly using these parables to illustrate other things to people. And I just want to say, if it's important to Jesus... It should be important to us. And so I'm excited because this morning we're going to be diving into one of those parables a deeper, getting to know the story and Jesus' heart behind it and the encouragement for us to follow. So Matthew 25, starting in verse, whoa, sorry, starting in verse 14. It's going to be up on the screen as well. And, it, and it's the story, I, I, I'm reading the message right now. And so the title for me says the story about investment. It could say the parable of the talents. Or the three servants. But it says it's, it's also like a man going off on an extended trip. He called his servants together and delegated responsibilities. To one he gave $5,000. To another 2000 To a third 1000 Depending on their abilities. Then he left. Right off the first servant went to work and doubled his master's investment. The second did the same. But the man with the single thousand, dug a hole and carefully buried his master's money. After a long absence, the master of those three servants came back and settled up with them. The one given $5,000 showed him how he had doubled his investment. His master commended him. Good work. You did your job well. From now on, be my partner. The servant with 2,000 showed that he had also doubled his master's investment. His master commended him, good work, you did your job well. From now on, be my partner. The servant given 1,000 said, Master, I know you have high standards and hate careless ways that you might demand the best and make no allowances for error. I was afraid I might disappoint you, so I found a good hiding place and secured your money. Here it is. 
safe and sound down to the last cent. The master was furious. That's a terrible way to live. It's criminal to live cautiously like that. If you knew I was after the best, why did you do less than the least? The least you could have done would have been invest the sum with the bankers where I at least would have gotten a little interest. Take the thousand and give it to the one who risked the most and get rid of this play it's safe who won't go out on a limb. Throw him out into utter darkness. The first point is simply the fear of failure. Fear of failure. How many of you guys... When you see an insect in your house, it just creeps you out. Okay, yeah. It should be everyone. I, I love animals. We obviously know that. But every insect could die and I would be okay. And so this morning, though, I was brushing my teeth, getting, getting ready for this morning. And I see this, like, like long centipede just, like, staring at me. And, 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 and my first instinct is, like, I have to kill it. And it immediately takes a step out of my bathroom and goes directly into my room and gone. And, and at this moment, I wanted to, like, just burn the place to the ground. But there was, I kid you not, I'm scared to go back to my house today. Like, because I don't know where that thing went. I tried to kill it, and it just left. And, and spiritually, fear has a way of doing that to our lives. That often... We hear the analogy or the comparison that our life, our body, is like a house. And yet fear has a way of trickling in and then just spreading all throughout the house, spreading throughout all of our soul. And yet if we're not careful, fear has a way of changing the way that we live, of changing the way that we think, of changing the way that we do things. Because instead of just being able to nonchalant walk into my room, there is this hesitancy, there was this fear. And in our own lives, when we let fear take the reign, the way that we live our life looks so different than the way that God actually intended. That in 2 Timothy 1.7, it says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, of love, and of self-discipline. That Jesus, his intention was never for us to live in fear. And yet so often we find ourselves making decisions based on fear. That that's sometimes the reality that we can be in. And yet God's intention was for the exact opposite. That we would have power, self-discipline, love. That we would know that we don't actually have to live that way. But I would just say a few examples. Maybe it's because innately you're a people pleaser. Or often we, we wrestle with insecurity. Or maybe we don't want to look like we have any weaknesses. And so there's something innate about humanity fearing failure. And, and not wanting to let people down. Or not wanting to let ourselves down. Or not wanting to mess up. And so often we can be so scared of failing that we end up without realizing it. Being like the man who buries the money into the ground. We're like, at least it's safe. Like, at least I won't blow it. And so, so many times, without realizing it, we can live in a lifestyle that actually has that. And so the question that I honestly want to ask is this morning is, what are you afraid of? Like, like, like what, what is that area in your life that if you don't address it will actually impact the way that you live? Examples, school. Sometimes, 
it's hard with tests and, and, and homework and assignments and different things like that. And so, so often, it can be easier to be the guy that doesn't try. Like, oh, like I'm failing math because I'm not putting effort into it. But the real fear is actually if I gave it my all, maybe I'd, I'd still fail. Like, maybe I'd still. And so we then play it safe, and we're like, well, I, I wasn't trying. <laughs> if I was actually trying, I would have done so much better. Friend, friendships or relationships or things like that where you're like, I took a shot once, and that, like, crashed and burned. You know, and so there's this fear of repeating those same mistakes. Or even with, with like, let's say, let's say sports. Whose favorite part is conditioning? Probably no one, except for, all right, we actually have, I love it. We have some people that love, love conditioning. And so you're at the end of practice, and you're exhausted, and so in your mind, you like mentally tap out. You're like, okay, well, I don't want to actually try and like not come in first or come later behind the pack, so I'm just going to say I didn't try. And so oftentimes, I think those are just a couple examples, but in the way that we live our life, without realizing it, we can often make similar mistakes as to the man who just buries the money into the ground because it's easier, because it's safe, and because the fear of failing sounded devastating. And yet, if we let fear dictate the way we live our life, we are not living the way that Jesus intended. Jesus intended for us to be confident in the calling that he has on our life, and not let fear dictate it, but let his love and his power and his grace lead it. Do we have any Batman fans in here? Yeah. Connor's hand immediately went up. So in the, in the first movie, there's this moment where, okay, you know, Batman, as, as a young boy, he falls, he falls into this cave. And he falls into this cave, and it's dark, and it's intimidating, and then we see just thousands of bats that are flying around him, and, and, and the boy is petrified. And yet there's this moment where his father, he goes into the pit, he picks him up, and he looks at him, and he says, Bruce, why do we fall? So we can learn to pick ourselves up. And it, ultimately, the way that we live our life depends on how we view and perceive the master in the story. That you see the man who buried the money in the ground was so terrified of letting the master down that he didn't want to actually take that risk or that step because if he took the risk and failed, how much more worse would that be than actually at least having the initial money? And so if you have that fear that your, that your father is angry, or your father is intimidating spiritually, you're going to live in a way that is fear. And yet, in the same way that, that Bruce's father just said, why do we fall so we can pick ourselves up? We serve a Jesus who is so gentle. We serve a Jesus who is so compassionate. We serve a Jesus who understands that we're not perfect, that we're going to mess up. Jesus is not blown away when we mess up because he understands the creation that he had. And yet his heart is simply, I want to pick my kid up. And so when you understand the way that your master thinks and the way that your master has a heart for you, it's going to change the way that you actually live. That you're going to be able to be a little more bold. That you're going to be able to live a little more confident knowing that there isn't someone overlooking my shoulder just waiting for me to blow it. Like we serve a Jesus who is so gentle. That the second point is falling forward. Falling forward. 
And going back to a little bit of even just the heart that Jesus has. Jesus loves sinners. You, you see a pattern in the Bible, in the Gospels, in Jesus' ministry, that he was constantly spending time with people that are hurting, people that are broken, people that need someone to intervene and heal. And yet, we show value to the things that we prioritize. You prioritize what matters for you. You make the time for what matters to you. So if you have a hobby or you have an interest or you really care about your school or you really care about your sports or you really care about uh, taking a nap and watching Netflix, <laughs> you, you prioritize those things and you show value to them by the way that you spend your time. And Jesus showed in his ministry that he values people who don't have it all figured out. And so you have to take away this expectation that, like, if I ever do anything in life and I mess up, then, like, everything's over. There needs to be this freedom within your heart to know that we serve a God who's going to pick us up every step of the way. He's not after your perfection, but he is after your pursuit. Jesus loves sinners. He doesn't love the sin. <laughs> Clarify that one. But he loves the effort within you. He loves the effort to pursue him with everything that you have. And so, again, that's where I say, if we fall, fall forward. Fall chasing after Jesus. That Revelation 3.16 says, But since you are lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. <laughs> kind, of a weird, kind of a weird thing. The point being that this middle-of-the-road, like, passivity this, like, I, I don't want to take a risk, so I'm not going to try. I don't want to, like, this middle ground, like, Jesus is not a fan of. He's a fan of you and all of our flaws. But he's not a fan of living a life that way because it limits what God can do and it limits what you can fulfill and experience in your life. Do we have any track and field fans in here? Love it. Love it. I, my senior year, I did track. I was not good, but I loved the social aspect, so I'm just going to say that one right there. I was a thrower, but everyone had convinced me to try for the 100-meter dash. Okay, and you guys are already laughing because you're like, where is this good? Okay, and, but I will say, in middle school, believe it or not, I was, actually, I was a sprinter. I ran the 100, the 200, the 4x1 relay. So in my mind, I was like, yeah, I mean, I haven't done it in a while, but I got this. And so I was getting ready to run the race. And, and we're out in the middle of nowhere, because I went to a tiny high school, and there are six different heats. And so the first heat is the people that have the fastest time, because a track has eight lanes. So basically, eight people can run a sprint at the same time. So heat one is everybody that's fast. Heat two is everybody that's, you know, amazing, but not quite as fast. Heat three, I am the sixth heat at this point, because I don't have a time, because I never actually ran it before. And so there's literally me and three other people in this. I don't know if anybody knows Kale Kianas, who works at our church, but he is actually one of the other people in this race, which was amazing. <laughs> Destroyed him, but that's okay. Um, and so there's, and there's three other people. We start. And for the entire race, I'm a solid second place. Like, it's, it's not even close. Like, there was a dude who was like 6'2 and just jacked, and I was like, why are you in the sixth heat? That's rude. And, and yet I had a lead on the other people, and you're nearing the finish line, and, and for people that love track and no track, the one thing that you do at the end of a sprint is you lean. You always lean. And so I had done sprinting before. <laughs> Somebody, oh, you already know where it's going. I had done it so many times, but I, I, not in high school, and I played 
power fullback in football, and so I always just dove. And so there's this moment where I'm nearing the finish line, and I do like half of a lean, half of a just dive. Like, I don't know what got a hold of me. And so I passed the finish line at first, thank goodness, and then I just face plant. I face plant, and I skid. Like, like literally to the point where I get up, because I got up so quick, because the only thing that hurt worse than my body was my pride. And I get up immediately, and I have, like, rug burns on both of my elbows and both of my knees. And I remember the first thing that goes through my mind is, okay, it was the sixth heat, maybe nobody was watching. I look to my left, and our entire track team is just watching with, like, their jaw on the ground. My dad is in the stands, like, laughing uncontrollably, bless his heart. Like, he, he, he's so proud of me, but he could, not hold, he could not hold that one together. And just, it was terrible. The one time I ran it. <laughs> Ow. <laughs> the reason why I say that, the reason why I say that is I fell chasing forward. And sometimes we can be so afraid of falling that we don't actually start the race to begin with. That we, there could be such a fear of what if I fall, what if I blow it, that I'm not even, I'm still at the starting blocks. Like I haven't even actually gotten into the game yet. And that's where Jesus wants you to get in the game. Actually, in the Bible, I love it, talks about uh, sports metaphors, and it actually talks about track. And so 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 25 it says, you've all been to the stadium and seen the athletes race. Everyone wins, or sorry, everyone races, but one wins. A little bit of a different, you know. <laughs> Run to win. All good athletes train hard. They do it for a gold medal that tarnishes and fade, but you're after, the, you're after one that's gold eternally. And I think there's this, this, this innate hope within Jesus that we are willing to get into the starting blocks we are willing to start the race, and we're willing to run with everything that we have. And yeah, there might be moments where we fall, and yet Jesus is so more concerned about picking us up. That Proverbs twenty four sixteen says, no matter how many times you trip them up, God-loyal people don't stay down long. Soon they will be up on their feet, while the wicked end up flat on their faces. And I believe with everything in me that had the man taken the investment, had the man had the $1,000, taken the investment, tried everything, and blew it, working really hard. I don't, you know, I mean, no master would be pumped, but I believe in my heart that there would have been this, it's okay, we're going to learn from it, we're going to grow from it, instead of, let's throw him out. And I think, again, if that's us in the story, and, and we have that, that $1,000, and we're scared, Jesus is so much more concerned about, did you try did you give it your best effort? Like, like in the moments where we mess up, okay, let's learn from it. Let's grow from it. Let's not repeat that. But he's so much more concerned about the position of our heart than simply the monetary value. Because Jesus understands it's messy. The best thing that you can do for Jesus is give it your all. That living each and every day, all of us, myself included, each and every day, with the question, did I give Jesus my best effort? Not was I perfect, not did I, did, did I never make a mistake, but did I give Jesus my best? Did I give him my best in my effort, in my pursuit of him? Because that's what he is so after. Number three is simply discontentment. 
just the word discontentment. I know this might be a, a, a tiny bit of a little, uh, you know, shift or a tangent in the story, but I, I really feel like it's worth addressing in the story. The man who buried the money had the least amount of money to begin with. This is interesting. I don't know if it was coincidence or if Jesus was really trying to get at something because he doesn't really dive a lot into it. But simply, the man who buried his money had the least to begin with. And it says in the beginning that the master divided the money based on abilities, based on strengths, based on weaknesses, and he divided them up. And, and, and Jesus gives us many gifts, but, but nothing is an even split because we're all created uniquely and different. I'm not saying one person is more or better than the other, but, but we're not the same. We're, we're, we're different. So there's never an even split. But are you stewarding well what God has given you? Are you complaining because you don't have more? And it, and it could have been very easy for the man in the story to take his thousand less seriously because he looked up and saw that somebody else had more money. And so in, in the way we live our lives, are we content with stewarding well what God has given us because also, when, when, when you steward well, more will be given to you. More will be added to you. When you, when you see the men doubling their investments, working really hard, Jesus is saying, be, be my partner. Like, like, let's do this together. The master had the same response to the man with 5,000 as to the man with 2,000. They both doubled the investment, and the master was really proud with both of them. It wasn't the money. It was what you did with it. And so, so often we can be so consumed with comparing, do I have more? Do I have less? Do I have more money? Do I have more gifts? Do I have more talents? Do they have more than me? What does that look like? And we can be so consumed and fixated on that that we become discontent with what we have. And Jesus is just saying, steward well what I've given you. And if you steward it well, more will be given. More will be added. Be my partner in this. But are you stewarding the gifts that Jesus has placed in you? Because the question in the heart would be to steward those well. And if it matters to Jesus, it should matter to us. Whether something seems big or whether something seems little, if Jesus has asked you to steward it, then you would want to take care of it. And so again, I, like, I understand it doesn't necessarily address that part of it within the context of the story. But I, in my own heart, I think it's something that we can learn from. I think it's something that we can look at and see that the man who took it least seriously was the man who had the least and oftentimes, comparison can kill your contentment if you let it. And I think Jesus is saying, please steward well what you've given. And what I love, though, is Jesus is saying that, but you're also included in that story. That in Ephesians 2.10, it talks about how we are his masterpiece. So when Jesus says, I need you to steward well what I love, Jesus loves you so much more than you could ever comprehend. So take care of yourself. Like, like, take care of your heart, take care of your mind, of your body, of your strength, that it's okay, self-care is so important. I think that's something that even in my own walk, if I could be honest, that Jesus is still teaching me. Because I think oftentimes self-care can be seen as selfish, but really it's stewarding well the gift that God has given you and the gift that Jesus loves so much. So in, in the story... There's this piece of the master entrusting something valuable to him and asking that they would steward well with what, what was given. And in the same way this morning, Jesus has given you so many gifts. Jesus loves you so much. And he's just saying, partner with me, steward well. And that includes yourself. Because he cares immensely. 
Number four, and the last point that I have this morning is willingness. Willingness. For most of the morning, we've taken the posture and we've looked at the man who buried the money. But there's also two men who double their investment. They take advantage of the opportunity because there is a willingness and a hunger and a drive to do as the master asked. That there was this piece of, again, not perfection, but willingness, but pursuit, but hunger. The best thing that you can do for Jesus is give everything you've got. That you can give it your all. If the worship team wants to come back up, I'm going to close with just looking at one, just one final story. In Matthew 14, there's this passage where, where, where the disciples are out to sea. They are caught in heavy waves. And about 3 o'clock in the morning, this figure just starts walking out to them. And, and I would be petrified. If, if there was these storms and these waves and all of this is going around and the disciples are worried for their life and they just see this like ghost-like being approach them, I'd, I'd be terrified. And there's this moment, though, where Jesus calms them down. He, he reaffirms them, it's me. He's going to take care of it. And yet what I love so much is the hunger in Peter's heart. That Matthew 14, 28 through 29 says, Then Peter called out to him, Lord, if it's really you, Tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, he says. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. Many of us know how the story ends, but if we don't, there's this moment where Peter's walking out on the water towards Jesus, and he gets distracted because he looks at the waves, and he looks at the wind, and he becomes petrified. And in this moment, he starts to sink, and Jesus immediately reaches him out. He, he doesn't let him drown a little bit to teach him a lesson. He immediately catches him. And he says, why, why have little faith? Why did you doubt? But to be honest in my heart, I think Jesus said that with a smile on his face. I, I think Jesus smiled because he was like, Peter, you almost had it. Because here's the thing. Peter was the only one willing to get out of the boat. I think it's so easy that we can criticize Peter for being the one to fall. And yet there was this something inside Peter that said, Jesus, if it's you, tell me to come and I will come out to you. Where were the other disciples? I'm sure the other disciples were like, man, kind of laughing almost as they didn't even get out of the boat. And there's something to be said about having a willingness and a hunger and a drive because the cool part is Peter did something that only Jesus Christ himself did. He walked on water. Like, like, like it doesn't say that as Peter like stepped out, he just immediately sank. It said that Peter was walking out on the water towards Jesus. And then he got distracted. But there was something within him that was still hungry and driving forward to do that. And yes, he fell. But had he been so afraid of falling, he would have stayed in the boat and missed out on something so amazing. And so there's something that Jesus loves when there's this hunger and this willingness to get out of the boat. Jesus is okay with picking us up. He loves it. He loves that ability to reach out and snag us when we fall. But he loves the hunger and the drive to do that. And, and I just want to encourage us this morning. I, I feel like we have two options in the way that we can live our lives. That often we can live a life in which fear dictates the way we live. And we promptly bury the money in the ground. At least I didn't lose it. At, at, at least we break even, right? Right? Or we can step out of the boat 
and we can trust Jesus with the journey. And that we know that we're stepping out into winds and waves, but we serve a God who's so faithful to take care of us every step of the way. So we're going to pray, and we're going to worship. But I have two questions that I want to ask you guys that would you just be thinking in your heart as we worship? Would you be doing a little bit of self-inventory this morning? The first question that I have is, what fears do you need to lay at the feet of Jesus? Now, those are not meant for you to carry. There are weights that will hinder you from running the race. That, that you're meant to take that off and step into something, as for 2 Timothy 1.7 said, that, that not fear and timidity, but of power, love, self-mind. The second question that I have is, is there something scary, but you need to step out of the, you need to step out of the boat. You need to walk towards Jesus. Again, maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's school, maybe it's sports, maybe it's friendships, but there's something in, in you that's holding yourself back because you're like, if I try and fail, that will be more devastating than if I didn't try at all. And let me tell you, that's not the case. Jesus has so much more in store for you. So what is that thing in your life where you're like, I need to give it my all? Living a lifestyle each and every day saying, did I give Jesus my best life? And knowing that there is immense grace that covers us each and every moment. So if there's a day where I'm like, no, today got away from me. I'm going to wake up the next morning. Am I going to give Jesus my best? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the heart of love and grace that you have. That there was something about the man in the story who feared the master. And yet... We don't have to be scared of you. We don't have to be afraid that you have this heart of love, of grace that wants to pick us up every time. And, and, and you're not concerned with the fact that I'm not perfect, but you're concerned with my effort. Jesus, would you allow us to lay things at your feet that we are not meant to carry? And would we give you our effort, the effort within, would we pour out and give you our all? Jesus, we love you. We thank you. Praise you. In your name. Amen.